Hey, I'm author Ed Kellerman, and you are listening to Tony Lavorna's Lores and Legends. I f- forgot. Sorry about that. It's all right. You were doing good. You were doing good. You were doing so good. L- Legends and Lores. Okay. Four, three, two, one. I am author Ed Kellerman, and you are listening to Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore. Hello? Hey, Ed, it's Tony Lavorna. I'm back. <laughs> All righty. All righty, buddy. Can you hear me okay? Oh, yeah. How about me? Oh, beautiful. You're, you're fine, Ed. You're coming in good and clear. You know how it goes. You've done this before, I know. <laughs> All righty. This podcast is made possible by the Social Voice Project. Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast explores the history and tales of ghost stories, mysterious crimes, murders, UFOs, witchcraft, and other occult happenings still thriving in the greater Ohio Valley region of Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, and beyond. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome today to Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore. And with me today, we're going to have a very special guest. We have our friend and author, Mr. Ed Kellerman. Ed, how are you today, buddy? Just wonderful, Tony. How's yourself? Oh, fantastic. It's a beautiful day here, so we're enjoying it, and I couldn't wait to talk to you. Today, ladies and gentlemen, well, as I said, we have Mr. Ed Kellerman. Ed is an author. He's a columnist, playwright, speaker from central Pennsylvania. Ed, the, the list goes on and on, buddy, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you, you get to be my age, and you get a, you get a long list like that. <laughs> well, that, there's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing wrong with staying busy. That keeps us out of right. trouble, right? Well, I don't know about that, but... <laughs> 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 That's probably true. Well, let's see. Just some of the books, in short, uh, some of the works that you've done. There's Pennsylvania, The Haunted Route 30, uh, Pennsylvania, Haunted Route 22. Uh, my other book that I'm looking forward to obtaining is the uh, book entitled uh, Beverly Lagorga. Uh, we Don't Talk. Lagor- about- Lagorga. It's Lagorga. There it is. Lagorga. Yeah. We Don't Talk yeah. About the- Those Kinds of Things, The Making of a Psychic. That sounds like something I need to read. I need to get that book, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's very, that's very interesting. That's, that's Beverly's life story. And uh, the way we got the title of that book is because when she was a little girl, uh, she could see a spirit in her grandmother's uh, upstairs window, which was her house was next door to, to Bev's house. And she'd tell her mom, hey, mom, I, I see this fellow up there in, in that window. And mom would say, we don't talk about those kinds of things. <laughs> and that's where we got the title of the book. No, you see, that that's what I love. That's what I love because it is the everyday man, and I love your I love your writing style. Ladies and gentlemen, just to let you know, Ed and Ed and I are probably cut, I guess, from the same cloth in regards to our <laughs> writing methods. We like to use everyday people in the tales and the folk legends that are often associated with them. Ed, tell me, what first sparked your interest in the the supernatural, the paranormal, and and I'll say the paranormal first because okay, yeah, well, see the thing, you know, just like anybody else, I've had a fascination for the paranormal all my life, but it wasn't until about oh, I say about fifteen years ago 
when I actually had a paranormal experience that uh, gave me the spark to start writing about it. Uh, I was at West Overton Museums. I was on a board of directors at the time, and we were having our Halloween show where uh, we would take people around. We had like uh, uh, different places set up where people would jump out and act like they were ghosts and spooks and things like that. And I was dressed up in my character as Little Butch Bo Peep. I picture an old fat guy. You know, just picture an old fat guy with a uh, a polka dot dress, with a hoop skirt, a blonde wig, a bonnet, and a shepherd's crook with work boots and a beard. <laughs> I, I, I'd have to say uh, that would be one type of specter. I'll tell you, that would be a spectacle as well as a specter. Yeah, yeah if that won't make you go blind, nothing will. <laughs> but uh, I, was leading a, I was leading a group through, and uh, a disembodied voice just came out of nowhere and says, here, take that, and knocked my bonnet off and went flying in the air, and someone about two rows back caught it out of the air for me, and there was no wind or anything. And at exact same time, my young son had a job in one of the buildings that was supposed to be haunted, okay? He was supposed to rattle chains and make noise with a garbage can. Well, a tour group came through, he rattled the chains, and a tour group left, and he stopped rattling the chains. But the chains kept on rattling, and farm equipment on a wall started shaking and rattling. So I was relating this a little later to a friend of mine who's also a writer, Marianne Mogus, mm-hmm. and she said, hey, we got to write a book about this place. So we did. We called it Weird West Overton, and that got me started. And that was your start. The rest is history. Yep. And then, well, my, my the, the first big book I wrote was the uh, Haunted Route 30, which has like uh, uh, about 55 locations along Route 30 between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia that are haunted. That book started off as an excuse for me to take long bike rides on my motorcycle. <laughs> And I I would be going out and hopping on the bike, and my wife would yell out the window, where are you going? I said, going to do research. Can't you research from a car? No. (laughs) You're ingenious. Ingenious. Yeah. Then as time went by, I got more and more serious about it. And, and like, I'm I'm very serious about it right now. It's, It's basically started off as a lark and then became something serious. I could understand that. Most in the field, I think, if they're honest with themselves, it often does start out as one thing, but certainly does blossom into full-blown research and dedication. Exactly. Tell me in your own words what you feel is the difference between paranormal and supernatural, because folks often interchange these two words, but they are different. And uh, to most of us who have either done research or studied this information, there is a discerning difference between the two. Yes, yes. Paranormal is, is, that's a simple explanation of paranormal. Paranormal is anything that cannot be proved by empirical science. It's beyond the realm of science at this time. Right. Okay. Supernatural is something that is above and outside of the natural world. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, to give a, a, a for instance, okay, in, in the one of the one of the fields of paranormal study is cryptozoology, and uh, we're familiar with that because that everybody knows about Bigfoot. Sure. Okay, and cryptozoology is simply the study of animals that have not yet been scientifically studied. Okay, not, in other words, you see them, but you can't get your hands on them. We're talking about a species that would exist outside the norm of what the known science community understands. And, and for the longest time, there was a species of fish that was considered to be extinct 
ever since the dinosaurs. These, this fish was supposed to be extinct for like 30 million years. Are we talking about like the coelacanth? Exactly, exactly, the coelacanth. And now this thing's been been being caught off the coast of Madagascar ever since 1967. They're catching them every year. And so until that fish was caught, any sightings of it was considered cryptozoology because nobody could get their hands on it. Right. That's one of the fields. But but then when you get into the field of supernatural, supernatural considers itself, you know, with, with things that are outside the realm of human experience, um, that almost to the point of being fantastical, okay? In this field of supernatural, we include spirits. Uh, you can call them whatever you want. Spirits, ghosts, uh, shades, geists. Sometimes shadow people or apparitions, uh, shadow people, uh, that sort exactly, of thing. Ex- exactly. And um, this is outside the, the outside the natural existence of man. My own personal belief is that uh, when your body dies, your spirit lives on. Mm-hmm. And you, your body is just a, a, a vessel for your for your spirit. And when you die, it lives on. And and this belief has been held by religions throughout time, ever since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. And every religion has its own idea of what happens after death. After reading quite a few of uh, your books and your works, a lot of your stories are based on from or on everyday people and, and the occurrences that happen to those people. What do you hope or what message do you want to convey to your readers? What What is the underlining message that Ed Kellerman wants everybody to know? Okay, what I would like my readers to realize is that paranormal events happen to normal people. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, normal people can have paranormal experiences and it happens every single day. When, when you read my books about uh, Route 30 and Route 22, a number of the stories in those books are, are fairly well known. They, they've almost uh, devolved into folklore for some of them, okay? And they're, they're, they're fairly well known. People know about the hauntings, at, for instance, at Gettysburg. Oh, and at the J. Edgar Thompson Steelworks, they know about that. At Point State Park, people know about this. These are hauntings that are fairly well known. But... Could you elucidate there a little bit for our listeners? Could you, could you give us a little bit more of an example? Um, just for our listeners, you said uh, at Point State Park. What, what would be the most you know, usual example there? Okay, Point State Park, um, you know, Point State Park uh, only goes back to the 1950s. Before then, it was a, uh, an area of warehouses and train switching yards and small factories. Right. It was a nasty place. And I remember it when I was a little kid. I remember when, uh, what's his name, uh, David L. Lawrence decided to make the Golden Triangle. And he and, uh, what's his name, uh, Mr. Mellon, they twisted a few arms to acquire that property and, and turn it into the beautiful area it is today. Mm-hmm. But before then, it was not a nice place. Now, after the, the park was put in there, as you approach the park, there's this beautiful bridge that has this like curving archway that you walk under to get over to the, the fountain. During the morning hours, sometimes people have seen other people walking from the opposite direction, like into town from the Point State Park through that archway. And these people are carrying the old lunch buckets that they used to carry back around that turn of the century, back when it was industrial. There was washerwomen walking through there and everything. And these are the spirits of the people who lived and worked there like hundreds of years ago. Also, on the security cameras at Fort Pitt uh, museums. They have seen people walking around dressed in French and Indian War garb. And these hauntings are, are fairly well known. 
the homeless people who uh, hang out down around that park when the weather is nice, and along with some of the police officers who interact with them. They have seen people walking around there in French and Indian War garb, and there's no reenactors there at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's that's an example for that one spot. That definitely blows your socks off. I mean, that's that's different. Seeing people from a different era or apparitions, right. I want to say, you know, not people, but apparitions, a different era walking around from Point State Park, and it's incredible. Well, let me ask you this, because I, I understand you write about fiction as well. You have a few books out that deal strictly with fiction. Now, one, I believe, is entitled The Little Drummer Girl of Gettysburg. Right. And another one, uh, another tome is The uh, Twisted Tales of a Twisted Mind. I like the title of that. <laughs> I, I, it just speaks to me. Tell me about that book. <laughs> that that's kind of like just describes me. Uh, <laughs> the Twisted Tales from a Twisted Mind is a collection of short stories. They are not horror stories. But they'll cause you to think a little bit. They, they have an eerie twist to them. They don't involve hauntings or anything else like that. It's just like mind games. Um, for instance, uh, the story that opens the book and the story that ends the book uh, involves a couple of homicidal eight-year-olds. <laughs> okay. And uh, <laughs> These are definitely yeah. twisted. I, I, I got to say, you're piquing my interest. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, they, they are twisted. Uh, and it's... Um, it's just, you know, it's just these, these things that come up in my mind because, um, you know, I, I do a lot of other writing. Yeah, and that's, like I say, that's a collection of short stories that, that I've written over the years. I put them together in a book. And then uh, you were talking about the little drummer girl of Gettysburg, okay? Just to tell everybody right off the bat, there never was a little drummer girl in Gettysburg. Okay, this book that I wrote is a young person's novel, say people in about, oh, say, sixth and seventh grade, a novel for those that uh, well, by bringing in the spirit aspect, the little, the, the, the little, the ghost, the little drummer girl, okay, it grabs their attention. And then while they're reading about the little drummer girl, and it's a story about a little girl whose brother was a drummer, he got sick and couldn't make muster. And so he wouldn't be considered a deserter. She dressed up as him and took his place. And then on the first day of the Battle of Gettysburg, she gets killed. And because there's a screw-up, as happens, she gets buried as a Confederate soldier. So her spirit haunts the area of Gettysburg where she's buried for 150 years, waiting to be recognized as a Union soldier. And the story is about a bunch of kids on vacation from the Pittsburgh area who go up there and what they go through to help her get recognized as an actual hero that she was so she can cross over. That's the story. But... In the story, the kids that are reading the story are going to learn about the Battle of Gettysburg. Because everything I have in there about the Battle of Gettysburg is factual, 100% factual. For instance, uh, this little drummer girl is supposed to be a member of the Pennsylvania 143rd Regiment. And that regimental memorial is the first memorial you will see coming on, on Route 30 coming into Gettysburg. And on that memorial is a picture of a fella standing up there and waving his fist at the Confederates as they attack. And his name was Sergeant Ben Crippen, and he actually was the sergeant in charge of the color guard for the, the unit. And so, you know, kids will accidentally learn a little bit about the battle that way. You know, that's ingenious. It really is. Ed. I, I like your delivery on that because it's it's not only entertainment, but it is educational as well. Mm-hmm. What type do you prefer to write about? Do you prefer more to write about the fiction, or do you 
prefer to write these stories of the nonfiction more? I'm curious. Actually, it's a toss-up. I, I really, really like to write the fiction. But over the last five or six years, I've been so tied up writing in the paranormal area that I haven't, haven't had time to write much in a way of fiction. Mm-hmm. I, I still enjoy writing fiction. I just haven't. It, fiction is very time-consuming. But it's time-consuming sitting in front of a computer monitor on a keyboard hour after hour, changing here, changing there, correcting like this. On the other hand, the paranormal investigation and stuff I do is a lot of field work, which means I'm, I'm not staring at a computer monitor all the time. I, every place in all of my books I've been to and I've investigated those places, interviewed people, uh, talked to people, and all the pictures in the book were pictures taken by me. So that gets me out there in the field. Which that and that's what I like being outside in the field. I don't like being cooped up in a you know office, even though I spend about six hours a day cooped up in an office. You, you sound like you're a true uh, researcher. You like to be out there. Oh yes. No, that's excellent. My um, <clears throat> my personal favorite. Now I I hate to say personal favorite. I don't want to taint anybody's opinion, <laughs> but I got to tell you, out of the books so far, I'm biased. Uh, the first one that I like so far is actually entitled uh, by Ed Kellerman, Paranormal PA. Spirits do <laughs> in fact exist. This I, I'm telling you, this is one of my favorite Ed Kellerman books. Ed, I, I got to tell you. <laughs> Well, well, Tony, you hit the nail on the head. It's also my favorite. <laughs> it is. It is also my favorite. You hit that right on the head. Uh, like my newest book is the uh, the Haunted Railroads of Pennsylvania's Haunted Railroads. Okay, and but and Paranormal PA came out uh, about a year and a half or so ago, and that is my favorite because a large number of the stories in Paranormal PA are hauntings and visitations by ghosts and apparitions that have happened to everyday people like you and me. Okay, uh, it's, this is that didn't happen to people 200 years ago who were visited by Indians and stuff like this, and, and then a story evolved from it. I start that book off with a love story of a, a, young, a young woman uh, with two children in Altoona, and her husband comes to her. Uh, Rosie and, and Mac. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it, Rosie and Mac. And it's a love story that just goes on after the grave. And and Rosie lived to be in her 90s and never married again. Incredible. That's one of the stories in there. Uh, another one uh, has nothing to do with ghosts, but it's a Bigfoot sighting. Happened to a 16-year-old girl that I know. Right. And, uh, you know, when she was 16, she's like, you know, she was 20-someone. She told me about this. And, and she took me over to the place and showed me. And you can actually feel what she was feeling. And that's what I'm trying to put into the, into the book, that, you know, supernatural occurrences happen to regular people. Absolutely, they do. Is that the encounter on Turkey Hill? Yes. Okay, Somerset, Pennsylvania, that was. Okay, the, the Bigfoot that you said, the, the Bigfoot encounter. All right. One of my favorites, I'll tell you, well, there's, there's, I have myriad amount of favorites in this story, <laughs> but just to give you an idea, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you listening uh, at home, uh, page 41, I, I love how this all goes. He, he sets it up. Late in 2016, I had an occasion to be at an event in Greensburg that was attended by well over 200 persons. One of those persons, a middle-aged family man, approached me and asked if I ever had been frightened by a ghost. And R. Ed replies to him. I replied, startled, even shaken? Yes, but frightened? No. (laughs) 
I love that. Ed. I do. Shake, startled, yes. Shaken, yes. Frightened, no. I went on to explain that the only things that actually frighten me from the other side are demons and poltergeists. Can't be more forward than that, Ed. I really like that. Right. Yeah, because spirits can't help you. And when I when I talk, I use the word spirits interchangeably with ghosts. Okay? Sure. And they they won't hurt you. They um, they don't have any power of their own. They are a free floating spirit, and the only way they they can make themselves known is by absorbing energy from elsewhere. That's why um, we do the EVPs, electronic voice phenomenon, with digital recorders. We can talk to the spirits using those because they absorb the energy from the batteries so that they're able to get their voice onto that uh, recorder. Often I notice paranormal investigators or researchers often state, too, that uh, sometimes when they encounter these ghosts or apparitions or entities, that their batteries are often drained from their electronic equipment uh, when encountering oh, yes. these things. And that's probably, they seem to feel that that is because the entity is somehow absorbing or taking that electrical energy in order to make some type of manifestation is would you say that's correct? Exactly. Exactly. Um, a couple of years back, um, Bevla Gorga and I were conducting an investigation at the Geyer Theater in Scottsdale. And I was setting up uh, digital cameras and stuff like that. And one digital camera I had, I went through 24 AAA batteries in one hour. Wow. I would put them in the camera, set the camera up, get the camera going, and you could almost watch the needle in the battery just draining and then, then, then it's the most irritating thing in the world because that little LED screen they have on the, the camera, right. it would say bye-bye and then go off. <laughs> and by, by about the fourth time that thing said bye-bye, I was ready to put it through a wall. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure. Then the very next day, I take all these batteries and I put them on a battery checker at home and they all held a full charge the next day. That's why when we do these investigations, we literally take dozens of batteries with us. My, my kid has uh, probably uh, three or four dozen double A's, three or four dozen triple A's, and about a half a dozen nine-volt batteries in it. So as a courtesy message to all those up-and-coming paranormal investigators, buy some stock in Doracell or right. <laughs> make sure that you carry <laughs> a lot of batteries with you. <laughs> to an investigation. And invest in rechargeable batteries. You'll save money in the long run. Good advice. Sound advice. Well, I'll <laughs> tell you, Ed, we only have a little bit to go here on this show. Would you please do us the honor of telling us one of your favorite stories? And if I may make a humble request, in the book up in old Uniontown, Pennsylvania, uh, there's the story of the Fayette County Courthouse and its magic clock. Would you tell our listeners that story? Would you mind? Oh, sure. No problem at all. Long time ago, around the, the turn from the 1850s on until about 1905, 1910, condemned prisoners were hung from a scaffold at the um, Fayette County Courthouse in Uniontown. And the scaffold was erected in a courtyard and from that scaffold, you could look up and you can see the clock tower at Uniontown. And on top of the clock tower was a statue of Lafayette, who Fayette County is named after. Well, this one fella, he was condemned to die. He didn't have a problem with that. He had committed the murders. He knew that. 
was not a miscarriage of justice. He, he didn't have any problem with the sentence. He knew he was going to die. And they led him up to the scaffold, and they started putting uh, the hood over his head for the hangsman. And he looked up at the clock, and he saw that the clock said 10 to 12. He's supposed to be hung at 12. He says, well, what about my last words? And the hangsman just tightened the hood around his neck and says, you know, we don't have time for the last words. He said, wait a minute. It's 10 to 12. I'm not supposed to go till 12. And they didn't pay much attention to him. They tightened the noose around his neck. But before they could get it completely tightened, he cursed. Now, he didn't curse the judge that sentenced him. He didn't curse the police officers that arrested him or the jury that found him guilty. No, he cursed the clock. And from that day till this day, the four sides of that clock, that clock has four sides, north, south, east, and west, that each has a face on that clock. None of those four faces ever agree. They never say the same time on any, any of those four faces. They always disagree. They never have the same time. Now this is true because I have verified that information on all four faces facing the different exactly. side. They all read different. Wow. <laughs> what, yeah. How do you respond to that? <laughs> what, what can you say? He, he was denied his five minutes. Right. And it wasn't the clock's fault that they hung him early. As a matter of fact, they may have hung him on time and the clock might have been off. <laughs> Very good thinking, Ed. Absolutely. That could be yeah. quite true as well. But I guess maybe he wasn't thinking too straight what, what was a, a noose around his neck and a, and a rickety trap door on his, under his feet. So, Well, that's true, Ed. I have to agree. He had other things on his <laughs> mind with those last five minutes. Well, Ed, I'll tell you, you have been fantastic today. Ed, tell the people at home, where can they get your books? Where can we pick up more copies of uh, PA Paranormal or some of your other pieces? If you go to my website, which is E-K-E-L-E-M-E-N, dot com that's ekellerman.com on my website i have a page on my website that lists all the stores where my books are available and they are also available through amazon everything is also available through amazon but i actually prefer if you would buy it from a local store because that helps uh helps keep those stores open absolutely we want to keep the local guy in business also on the uh, on my website list uh, has a, a page where I list all my appearances where I'm going to be festivals I'm attending and place where I'm giving talks and stuff. Well, we'll definitely do that. We're going to send them to www.ekelemen.com. That's yes. That's Ed Kellerman. Ed, thank you so much, buddy, for being a part of the show today. Oh, thank you so much, Tony, for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. Well, I'll tell you, we appreciate having you. We'll see you soon, my friend. Take care. All right. Bye. If you like what you've heard, be sure to like, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast app. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Project.
This concludes our broadcast. That definitely blows your socks off. I mean, that's that's different.